Hello, and welcome to our show. You are listening to WART, WART Radio 98.7 in Washington State. Um, the time, if I didn't mention it before, is 7 o'clock, which means it's time once again for the Uberlead Hacker Force Radio Show. Pre-recorded uh, this time, um, as always, in a restaurant. It is the 4th of July, and I'm in Stillwater uh, at the border of um, Minnesota and uh, Wisconsin to watch the fireworks here. The fireworks here are especially fun. I went here last year with a, with a, with the friends. This year I'm alone, but uh, I'm waiting for my cheese curds to, ha- to come to keep me company. In this episode, we're going to be... Uh, Unfortunately, we're not going to be releasing anything, but I'm going to make it up for you by uh, uh, interviewing a couple of people. We're going to be intervie- interviewing Crew about his Cabbage Flash uh, flash cart for the ColecoVision, in addition to Matthew Jones about his work with the D programming language, or more specifically, the projects that he has written using it. But before all this, a musical break. Well, next we have a medley of three movie scores, um, all really dramatic and gorgeous. Uh, This is music from Batman, Dances with Wolves, and Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves.
Welcome back, everyone. Again, this is WART, Wart Radio. Uh, you are listening to the Uberleet Hack First radio program. Uh, my cheese curds have arrived and a uh, very delicious uh, cheeseburger as well. Let me hold the microphone up to them so you can hear them and see them. Don't they look delicious? I think they look delicious. Uh, so this is what I'm going to do. Instead of doing radio and eating at the same time, uh, which uh, my mother tells me is impolite, um, uh, I will get back to you after the bell. Welcome back. It's now an hour into the future. That bell may not seem like it takes a while to bell, but brings you forward in time. And those in the background are the cannons. My cheese curds were just too delicious. All-American food, an all-American holiday, and all-American people. It's uh, kind of like pride, but for straight people, <laughs> to be honest with you. Not a queer soul in sight. Makes me feel a tad nervous, but that's okay. I still have a great deal of fun here. So, um, now for the poem of the week. And last week this was an essay. And this week it won't be an essay or a poem. It's going to be a thought. Because essays take a while, right? And uh, poems are uh, not, not very poetic, right? So, okay. Um, here's the thought of the week. You have uh, you have uh, complexity. You have computers, and you have an idealized uh, sort of the idealized computer is the Turing machine, and the Turing machine has memory. It has program memory, an internal state, and in uh, an external state. This external state being a tape, right? And uh, you can theorize from that that uh, um, complexity of what it computes. It can compute anything, but the complexity of what it computes is in some way proportional to the memory uh, that it can store. But this has never been proven. The the halting um, problem still exists, and you can't definitively uh, prove what a program will actually do. But it's a good guess that you can say that uh, the complexity of a program is related in some way to the amount of memory it either stores or the amount of uh, program memory it reads from. And so how is this how is this stored? Well, this is stored in the real world. We have magnetic flux and, and capacitance and these things because the world is physical in this, this computer is uh, in a physical world where it's constructed. And it computes using physical things, more or less. And so, how complex is what it computes? How complex is the memory that goes through it? We have a number that is made up of 22 ones and zeros consecutively, one, zero, one, zero, one, zero. You would need a 22-bit number to store that, right? But you can store it in a smaller number by, say, 1 followed by binary 22 or binary 21 plus the program to expand that. That program might look something like take the first bit, inverse it, decrements uh, the number you're taking from it. When it reaches 0, you're done. And uh, store it in the the leftmost position uh, for each iteration. And so you've expanded uh, a smaller number that's not 22 bits. Let's say it's 6 bits. I don't know offhand what binary 22 is. But let's say it's 6 bits. I think it actually would be, yeah, 5 or 6 bits plus the 1. So we've reduced a bit that's 22 bits to a, bit, a number that's 22 bits to a number that's 5 bits. So how far can this go, right? Well, again, this computer that is constructed and runs in a physical world, and this physical world supposedly is based on the Big Bang, where you have expansion of existence, more or less, an expansion of energy and matter and, 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 and these things, and all the complexity of the world comes essentially from this Big Bang. So essentially, you could 
reduce the size of this bit to the size required to the storage size of the universe, either at the Big Bang or before the Big Bang. I suppose at the Big Bang, which is for all purposes just infinite. You can, you can compress things infinitely, provided that you have the time to do it. Now, it takes, took the time in the universe to expand from the Big Bang to where it is now. So it could take a while, right? This 22-bit number is not going to be nothing for a good, for a good while. But what are we doing there? Are, are we actually taking the complexity of the universe and compressing it back to the size of the Big Bang? Is this actually possible? That's an interesting question, I think. Because you're told to, to think that, that matter, um, that disorder comes from order constantly, that things are constantly becoming more and more disorganized. And you've heard this a thousand times. I'm not going to talk about Schrodinger's cat. You can Google that. Quantum mechanics and all these things that you've heard uh, <laughs> perverted over and over again. But the essential problem there is the observer that changes the probability of things being observed. I think, okay, take this. This is, this is... Okay, sorry about that. My battery died, and now I'm here in a somewhat secluded room that says employees only next to an outlet. Shh, don't tell anyone. Um, so as I was saying, here's an example of this thing that you've been told about over and over again um, that you can do. It's fairly simple. You're all geeks, right? And uh, see, so okay, so you have an LCD, and uh, you have um, two polarized filters, Um one horizontal, one vertical, then you have um, a sheet of liquid crystal in the middle, and this liquid crystal um, polarizes the light that passes through it by 90 degrees uh, if a charge is going through it. Um, it doesn't if not. So you have um, something that becomes opaque and something that becomes clear uh, with current. And so take one of these filters, cut into three pieces, and uh, have one um, so the, all light coming from it is, say, polarized horizontally. Then put another one at a 45 degree angle right next to it. So it's polarized at a 45 degree angle. And then have another one over that that's polarized at a 90 degree angle. Now, you would expect that uh, pretty much no light would come through. You're filtering out all lights that is not horizontal. Um, and then you're filtering out all light that's not at a 45 degree angle. Then you're filtering out all light that is not, a, not at a 90 degree, 90 degree angle. So. Why should any light come through? Well, it turns out that's not what happens. What happens is it goes through the first filter, right? And then that goes through the second filter. And what the second filter does is change the probability of light um, being filtered by the third filter or not, so that it isn't probable at all that uh, no light that can't be filtered by the third filter goes through. Um, so when the third filter comes, all the light goes through. <laughs> and so the the filter that's polarized at a 45-degree angle makes everything clear, which is really messed up. And, and that's what we mean by by the observer changing things. And so well, why does this happen? Going back to complexity, can we take a complex universe and, uh, and make it the Big Bang? Can we take all this expansion and compress it? with just us, and uh, you would think no, um, but you know, maybe this is not true. Like, I think that would be one indication that this is not true, that the very act of observing something by um, a species or something that can then has the probability of reducing the complexity of this thing change the universe, I think maybe an indication that we can. Now, now if the universe were... Um, going into a big crunch at the end, and we're just expansion followed by, uh, by um, compression, like uh, just if we expand, stay still, and compress, uh, like how the old theory was, uh, then I think this would make sense, but the universe is expanding exponentially, so like why? Why would there be a movement of the universe to um, in some way be compressed more? I don't know. 
It's a big question for me. Okay. So, um, back to the back to the regular program. Um, we were going to have a release this episode, but it's it's not quite getting there. This is called uh, Hack the Planet Term, which is a terminal emulator that I've been working on. And uh, so you, you're in a terminal most of the time. And it's pretty boring, right? Like if you're super late, maybe have a wise amber terminal. Uh, but chances are you don't. And and so um, it needs to look more like you're hacking the planet, in my opinion. So this is what this terminal is is meant to do. I'll release it. I'm going to release it next episode. But uh, if you want, you can check out a video to see the progress so far at the Uberlite Hacker Force. It's all one word. Dot DeepGeek. Dot US. Now on to the interviews. Our first interview is with the crew um, of Block Party Fame and at Party Fame. He's kind of a he's a fellow demo senior. And uh, we're going to be talking to him about his Clico Vision flashcard. Then after that, we're going to be talking to Matthew Jones. Uh, so, um, and after after talking to Matthew Jones, hopefully there'll be enough time left um, for you to watch the fireworks with me. That's that's my point here. <laughs> so, um, we'll, I'll be right back after this interview. Hey, crew, how's it going? Uh, so, um, you have, uh, made a flashcard for the ColecoVision, so I hear. Yes. Uh, it's called Cabbage Flash. I released it as, a uh, wild entry at that party. Yeah. And, uh, apparently it's, um, uh, USB mass storage. It looks like a, a, a mass storage drive to, to OS's. So, um, it's pretty cool. It seems to be OS agnostic. Yes, one of the, the things I, I wanted to do when I started making it is because um, I'm not good or I, I don't really like making interfaces on, uh, on my whole side. So I wanted to have something that I could just plug in and copy data. And so that storage is a really good way to do it. And uh, so the ColecoVision is um, a Z80, as I understand. Uh, how much memory, how big is the, is the card? Well, there's 32 pin. That's what I use. Um, uh, there are some newer bank switch cartridges, um, but right now the base cartridge that I'm using is the standard 32 k The reason for that was, uh, I basically created, uh, Cabbage Fire because I wanted to pass out some cards a demo that I did for Block Party, and uh, one of the, the constraints I found myself for making a demo was uh, to make it fit in a, a standard cartridge, and uh, because there were actually no commercial games released in the Vision Large than that, I think the, the video game crash happened before the companies could start, you know, implementing things that you might get for the Atari. Mm. So the Atari was uh you would would you say the Atari is the first uh the first uh console to have uh bank switching? I assume this is in within the cartridge, um some sort of uh bank switcher of higher bits in the cartridge. Um would you say the Atari is the first to do this? Was it the first? I'm not really sure on the history. Um I know it became really common because the Atari only had four K of address space. Mm. Uh, Yeah. At the time, Rico was around, uh, I think it came out in 1982, there were, uh, 32K was enough for anybody, basically. Yeah, it's, it's 32K is quite a bit for, for back then. Um, so that's cool. You, d- you don't have to deal with a lot of, uh, a lot of different, emulating a lot of different chips. Uh, should you want to, well, okay, what's your, what's your primary, um, audience for this? Uh, is it, uh, is it homebrew developers, or do you think a lot of people are going to dump their arms onto it and plan a real real system? It's, it's mainly homebrew developers. Uh, there is a flash card that's being produced. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but I can give it to you later for the show notes. Um, okay. Very nice, definitely. Um, and they have a flash card, um, and it stores, I think it has 128 slots, and um, it has its own graphical front end and its own... 
Did you, uh, your block, your block party, um, uh, production was, uh, uh, Waterline. Um, is that right? Yes. Did you, did you have any box art for that? No, I didn't. Um, I'm not, I'm not as interested in that stuff. I didn't want to pass out a physical card, so, so what I did, uh, I, I did design a label for it, and I, I had, um, I had a pitch. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to do the same thing for uh, for the year before for the Sega Genesis. I was uh, putting together this demo, which never really came together because um, I decided to do too much of it at the end. Like, I had all these effects and I wanted to put them together, but I didn't have uh, didn't have the cash for uh, uh, an EEPROM programmer, which is the the route I was going to take as far as um, so. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember. Um, it's cool. You also you also have uh, a number of other things. You have a AVR synth, I understand. Oh right, yeah. Um, what else are you working on? What am I working on now? Um, well, there's still more political vision stuff, but uh, nothing in particular now. I think the way I did it in general on Waterline was I just coded a bunch of effects, and once I thought of a theme, started tying together. So I have to get again. I mean network modular. I'm sorry, is that a pretty fast protocol, the CAM protocol? That's not bad though, one megabit for for uh MIDI ish so I'm assuming you're I'm assuming you're doing something like key events or something like that. Um Planning, uh, are you thinking about uh, having a bunch of different physical modules for this and um, like a separate LFO? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, um, is there a certain sort of text, textual sort of feeling you're trying to get for this? Or uh, why not just have it entirely on a computer? I want to incorporate some analog 
Interfacing on a interfacing with a computer uh, for synthesizers is the sucks. At least I think it is. <laughs> like, um, it's incredibly difficult to move two knobs at once, for instance, which is is kind of a, an important thing unless maybe you have a couple of mice or something like that. Right. And, yeah, uh, and that, that is a big problem. Like when the DX7 came out and all these FM operators, and uh, how do you control it? How do you Now, getting back a little bit to uh, to Waterline and the ColecoVision, uh, what kind of graphics uh, chip does the the ColecoVision have? Um, it's a oh, I can't remember part number. Yeah, either can I. <laughs> 9918. It's the same graphics chip in the MSX1. Huh. And, uh, if you would know, you probably know the Sega Genesis has like a, a superset of this chip. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. It's um. Probably for uh, for master compatibility, yes, or something exactly. of that nature. So it's not a bad chip. 1982. That's better than the the 2600, right? Yeah. Well, there's some things that are, are better and some worse. Um, there's a lot less you have to do. Yeah. You have a reasonably slow processor. I mean, well, what is it, like 3 megahertz or something like that, or, or 4 megahertz? 4 megahertz? Yeah. Yes, yeah, it's the color frequency of NTSC, which is... 3.14, no, 3.7? Okay, what 3. is it? 3.3 3. 3 and a half, somewhere around there. Yeah. The weird thing about the Clico is to save money, they clock the processor, the video chip, and the worst part is the sound chip. Yeah, that's hilarious. It's all clocked to the to the chroma frequency. That's that's pretty funny. Um, now, uh, now for the twenty six hundred, mind you, you could you could buffer frame line and uh, uh, scan line, and uh, you have a lot of control that way. But it, it seems like it was such a slow of a system that the control that you could utilize from that didn't outweigh the contr- the the amount of, that you could do with sprites. You know what I mean? Like, there's some sp- some tricks with sprites, and if your processor is fast enough and you have that capability, you can pretty much get away with uh, with something that you can do on, on, the, uh, on the 2600. For instance, maybe changing addresses uh, per scan line or something of that nature. Um... Are you doing? Have you? Are you doing any tricks with with that? Are you are you doing any sort of horizontal scan line tricks or anything of that nature? Oh, raster stuff. Yeah. Um, the Clico, uh, not yet. Um, the Clico doesn't have a um a scan line interrupt. Uh, there are ways that you can think to a scan line that there's like a collision detection flag, and you can set up two sprites on one scan line. Mm. And then there's uh, there's another one. Uh, oh, uh, you can't have any more than four sprites on a single line. So if you have more than that, then it's a different flag is set, so you can potentially identify two separate regions of the screen by checking those bits. I didn't do anything like that yet. Um, it might be possible. Is there any way? Is I'm um, out of curiosity. Does the sound chip produce any interrupts or anything like that? No, that's one thing about the, the 
Pretty impressive waterline, to be honest with you. Um, I know it was recently put on Piao, despite it being released for for a, a year or so, and it seems like everyone really enjoys it. What was a what's your favorite effect out of uh, out of waterline, if you don't mind me asking? Oh, my favorite? I don't know. Um, I guess you could say they're all your favorites. That's a valid response. So, um, have you, uh, the, the mass storage device is 32K. Have you noticed any bugs in any operating systems, uh, with that small of a size? What controller are you using? Seriously, you you uh, you um, have done your own implementation of USB. Experiences with the the ML 89C5131, which is a 8051 type controller, and uh, so I was uh, I was I was working on this keyboard thing, right? And so I was implementing um, the human interface device protocol, and uh, <laughs> yeah, like uh, you, you had mentioned before, like a lot of the times when you would inter- encounter a bug, you'd think it's in your code. <laughs> And there's a particular bug. Oh my god, I haven't fixed it. I've debugged it so so much. I'm I'm pretty sure it's not my code. I'm pretty sure it's a uh, uh, FreeBSD is the operating system that I'm accidentally crashing my kernel with whenever I use it with that. So you know maybe it is my code, but I haven't. Like it's starting to get in that little fuzzy area, or I'm getting a little bit bit up fr- a little bit of fr- frustrated with it. Um. Man, how long did it take you to uh, to get USB mass working?
Are you selling your Are you selling boards or anything like that? Or are you just uh, releasing the design? I don't. I don't really want to sell boards. Um, I got room by that in the past. Oh really? Yeah, I'm trying to. You know, some people say they want a board, and okay, I make a some big order, and nobody has. You know, I I set up stack of fifty. Ah. Uh, and if uh, if enough people want to, I mean, I'll organize a group purchase so things are cheaper for everybody. Yeah. Now, how are you releasing this? Are you, um, is this GPL'd or under some other license or have you, how are you releasing this? So right now I guess it just falls under copyright. Um, yeah. Not at all. Yeah, that's, that's kind of usually how I am to be honest with <laughs> you too. development did you do uh, be before your cart or you, you had said you you had mentioned that you had another cart as well a more expensive one um, did have you done any work on emulators or anything of that nature or what kind of work have you been doing before with the ColecoVision That's cool. You, I think you won wild, right? Or you won old school? Old school demo, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, they were considering uh, integrating wild with the uh, like they did previous year. Mm. How did you feel winning? I'm sure it does. So if people wanna if people wanna get a hold of you, uh where they where how can they contact you? Anything else you'd like to, to tell people <laughs> before we leave? Oh, well, uh, how long we got? Uh, it's, as long as you want. I was just concerned because the battery was uh, it's starting to die here. So I guess if you cut off, um, we'll say our goodbyes, right? But uh, why? What's up? Annoying man. Eprom programmers? Oh my god. First of all, it takes a long time to erase them. Yeah. The other thing is, you have to, you can get ones with sockets maybe, or you have to solder them in, so you can't make the cartridge until you're done, basically. And if you're at a demo party, you know that you pretty much are not done until five minutes after the deadline. (laughs) Yeah. So I didn't want to be soldering. 
Yeah, what's uh, what's the old saying? Um, test uh, test early, test often, or something of that nature. All right, I gotta I gotta let you I gotta let you go. Thanks for uh, thanks for the interview. All right, good talking. Yeah, you too. Okay, uh, the sky is getting a bit darker. And soon the fireworks will be out. Um, before that happens, hopefully Matthew Jones can take us to that time. Enjoy this interview. I'll be right back after this recording. I'm here with uh, Matt Jones, uh, who is actually a D programmer. Now, I know nothing about D. D being the, the computer language, um, not the grade <laughs> D programmer, right? But... Uh, um. So, hey, Matt, how's it going? It's good. Nice to be here on the show. Well, well, thank you for coming. Uh, we appreciate it, uh, of course. Could you could you tell us what D is about? Uh, well, basically, D was created by, um, I think the guy's name is Walter Bright. He runs uh, Digital Mars. They make a bunch mm. of C and C++ compilers, and I guess... Over the years of making them, he really kind of got into uh, why those languages are good or bad, and he just decided to make his own language. And that's where D came in. And I think it was created first in 1998 or 1999, but it's still pretty unknown. How did you, how did you get into it yourself? Um, so I think it was maybe... 2002 or 2003, I was in university, and we were doing, I think it was C++ or C with Microsoft uh, Win32 libraries. Terrible. <laughs> and um, I was just looking around on the Internet, and I, I don't remember how I found it, but I found the Digital Mars website, and I was reading up on it. Got more and more interested in it over the years, and I didn't really use it till maybe 2007, 2008. When it got a little bit more stable, supported. Could you uh, could you tell us uh, some of the the most obvious differences? What are some of the differences that you noticed? You said you had experience in C C plus plus. Well, what were some of the differences that you noticed right away? Let's see. The most is it anything similar? It's pretty much like like C plus plus do over, I guess. So it it takes C. And it adds a bunch of new stuff, and it refines some other stuff. So, for instance, you don't use pointers. Instead, the arrays are just much smarter. Like, they know their own length, and you can resize them. And, um, like, if you slice an array to get, like, a subset, if you change the slice, then you'll get, you'll, it'll change the original array. So it's a lot more helpful with, uh, you have any use pointers, but you can still use pointers and all that low-level C stuff, but you, you you just don't have to. So it's still um, it uses the same ABI as C. So the, when it's compiled down, it the binary format's the same, so it works just like C. There's classes, operator overloading. You can do inline assembler if you want. The templates they're actually they're not like C++ templates. They're really complicated. They're more like like mixings what you do with like Ruby or Python or something. There aren't any macros, so they have some static statements where you can do like a static if statement. They have built-in unit testing and built-in design by contract. Uh, garbage collection is by default, but you don't have to use that. You can just use you can do all the memory management yourself if you want. Yeah. Those are some of the most obvious things I can think of off the top of my head. The problem with D is that the primary compiler, it's the Digital Mars DMP compiler, it's proprietary. So that's why it hasn't really been adopted on, say, like Linux or FreeBSD or whatever. But then uh, I forgot who did it, but someone created the... Uh, a GCC version, but it's not actually in GCC yet. It's called a GDC, the new decompiler. 
and it's been kind of ignored over the past couple of years, and it's, it's every time there's a new release of GCCs, they have to patch it and make all this stuff to try and get it to work, so that's been kind of drifting, but there's a new compiler called um, LDC. It uses the new LLVM-based backend, so it's not based on any GCC stuff, and that's really, really promising. That's what I've been using, and it's it's very nice. Mm. The primary library, like this was um, called Phobos, and that was also proprietary and done by the Digital Mars people. But there's a new project called uh, Tango, like the dance or the, the icons, where they, they, it's actually really good. It's a really good library. It's much, it's similar to Phobos, but I think it's much better. Like, much more efficient and but again it's not let's see the only distro I think the Linux distro I think that actually has LDC or Tango in it is I think Debian and Ubuntu so it's mm. still in, in the, the packages are kind of broken here let me uh, okay let me check OpenBSD right now since I'm right here to see if this is a package. No, it doesn't look like it's in the ports tree for, for OpenBSD either. Oh. Aw. Do you know if it's hard to get new packages in there? I'm not that familiar with the BSDs. Um, no, I'm, as long as it's, as long as it's reasonably ported to a BSD of some sort, it's, um, I mean, the ports tree is maintained by, uh, the people who maintain the distribution of OpenBSD, so that's not likely to change by your own means, but, uh, but you can build your own packages if you want, or you can just build your own programs without adi- adding them as packages, but, uh, it's not terribly difficult. I was thinking of I don't know. You'd have to contact the... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just thinking of trying to trying to get more stuff packaged. Like I was working on a Fedora package so I can get it in the RPM distros and maybe someone can get it in BSD and so on. Because once that happens, it should get a lot more... Well, you'd have to talk to the ports maintainer. Yeah, maybe I'll do that later. I was actually... After you initially emailed me, I was trying to figure out how to get it going on the, uh, I think I was using OpenBSD, but I didn't have much luck with that. So you have a number of projects that you've, um, that you've written. Are they all in D, or, or could you tell us about some of the projects you are working on? Uh, I mean, I have a bunch of projects that are various stages of usefulness or, or toy projects. Uh, the only one that's actually <laughs> in D would be the Root and Tootin. It's like a web framework, like a Django or Ruby on Rails. It only works with MySQL right now, and there are some issues. Like if you use um, the latest Tango from from a trunk because they haven't released it, or they they need to do a new release. There's problems with the regular expression, so it's extremely slow. To like compile it and then start it up and then wait for a request to process. But I mean, are you familiar with like Rails or Django or any other web frameworks? Mm, no, I'm not. No. No. What? It's this seems. Is this um? Was this a practice for you, or were you feeling some sort of um, some sort of functionality that you felt was lacking? Or uh, root and tootin. Why did you start this? Uh, kind of both. I mean, right now I'm doing for my day job. I do freelance web development, so it's pretty boring. I mean, I'm usually using horrible things like ASP.NET and people's kind of homegrown PHP stuff and making these boring internet websites. So I like to work on other stuff in my spare time. I've been using Rails too. It, if you're not familiar with Rails, it's like a new kind of web framework 
with a, like a model view controller style, and that's pretty much what all the other new frameworks are doing. They're kind of copying it. Well, not copying, but doing the same thing. But Rails is usually a little bit ahead. A model view controller. Oh, the model view controller. Mm. It, just, it, it's, it just means that the, the data and the logic layer and then the presentation layers are all separated. So it's not like um, one giant function that like looks up the database stuff and then renders the HTML and just like how most PHP websites are usually done nowadays. So they try and separate it all. And Rails is good. I mean, mm, I see. Yeah, it's hard to explain without showing like code and examples and all that. Like Django is probably the second best one, and then there's like. Oh, you had a question? Oh, I, w I was just going to comment that it actually sounds like a kind of a, an exciting thing to, to work on. It sounds like almost oops, almost like a, an operating system of sorts. But uh, go ahead. And, um, what were you going to say? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot to it. It's, it's kind of daunting the amount of work you have to do to get it to work, but it's, it's fun. And, um, I mean, Rails is probably the, the best of new web frameworks still, even though it's probably like five or six years old now. But I mean, there are still problems with it. Like, if you don't, like Rails assumes that you are going to have caching turned on. So that means that when someone makes a request to your website, it has to run a bunch of Rails uh, Ruby code to, to talk to the database and generate the HTML and all that. And if you don't have caching on, it's really slow. It's like like seven requests a second slow. I mean, and, and if you're comparing that to like PHP or Python frameworks, they'll probably get like they'll probably get about 200 requests a second. So it's a lot slower. And let's see what other problems do I have? And uh, so is it better in some sense? Do you think? Are you um are you solving a problem that you've seen with these frameworks? Uh yeah, I mean it's designed to to take everything I've learned about those other frameworks and kind of make them easier. And most of the problems with those frameworks is that they require you to do a bunch of extra steps to do the caching part. And, that, and that's like a huge pain in the butt where it's just, it's it's like when one person hits the website, it saves all the HTML as in the cache. So then when another person hits it, it won't have to actually run any other Python or Ruby code. It just returns the static thing or the static HTML. And having to do that is kind of a pain in the butt. So the kind of core idea about behind written Titan is that if we just write it all in D, it'll be a lot faster, so we won't even have to do any caching. I mean, I've done some basic mm -hmm. benchmarking, and I mean, it, it's still pretty much of a, to a toy, and it's not, it's very unstable, but it gets around like 8,000 requests a second, which is a lot faster. I mean, that's the kind of it, you really won't have to worry about caching until you get to be a really huge website like, uh, I don't know, Dig or one of those super huge websites or Twitter. So that's kind of the core idea. To be honest with you, it's to be honest with you, it's always surprised me a little bit that uh, a lot of um, a lot of these these programs that are being run on web servers aren't written. In something faster, like you say, D is just inherently faster. So therefore, uh, caching is not so much an issue. Um, a bunch of scripting languages that people are writing these in uh, PHP. I mean, I don't want to um, belittle the complexity of that language by any means, but it doesn't strike me as the the fastest thing in the world. And and if um and if speed is an issue. I mean, I'm wondering, what do you think, you sort of being immersed in this world, um, why do you think it is that uh, more, that 
faster languages haven't been utilized for these things? Is it um, portability or ease of making things easy to read? Or do you know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, well, primarily you have like the scripting languages like Perl, PHP, Ruby, Python that, that are usually much slower, but they're really easy to use. And then you have these kind of partially compiled languages that use VMs like Java, uh, .NET, Mono, C-Sharp, VB, and all that. And then you have the native code where you have C and so on. And up until recently, you didn't really have that many options as far as popular languages to use. So now you have things like Fala uh, and D. And it really kind of opens the door to getting a, an, an easier-to-use language that has garbage collection and you don't have to write header files and all that. So, I mean, if you go up to the average developer and you say you want to make a website and see, they think you're crazy. And I think that uh, mm -hmm. that can kind of combined with the whole, um, I don't know, it's not misinformation, but I mean this kind of idea that people won't think, or they think that unless you're using something like Java or C Sharp or Python, you're, you're not going to be able to get garbage collection and all that stuff with native code. There's this kind of idea that if you're using native code, you have to sacrifice things like that. You, it's like this kind of paradox, like JavaScript and, I mean not JavaScript, garbage collection and native code, what, what language is that? Does that kind of answer your yeah. question? Yeah, that, that answers my question a little bit. <laughs> um, so, you have written Tootin. Is there is there any other projects that you care to mention? Um, that's pretty much the only D one. I mean, I'm also porting the the uh, Python Tornado uh, web server to D, so then I can get a an asynchronous web server. So then I don't have because if you're making a web server, you pretty much either have to do it asynchronous or you have to use threads and. Over the last couple of years, there's been a lot of effort with Tornado and uh, what's that new one? It's written in JavaScript. It's Engine.js or Node.js and so on to, to not do the thread thing, instead to do the uh, asynchronous thing. So other than that, that's pretty much all I'm doing in D. I mean, I have a bunch of other projects, but they're all like toys and stuff. Um, so Matt, is um, is there anything, and is there any direction that you want to lead the conversation? Is there uh, anything else you want to talk about in particular? I don't know. What else you want to talk about? D stuff or some other? Well, uh, aren't you really into things like mm. what is that? Those demo things where you make. Like a demo that runs on like a Genesis or whatever, the graphic demos. Yeah, I'm um a little bit into that. Have you? Uh, <laughs> Why do you ask? Been using anything like OpenCL or CUDA or anything like that um to get to do kind of similar stuff on on regular PC hardware, or you just stick to mostly like game consoles and so on? Um, mostly just overall, mostly just C and OpenGL, um, as far as any sort of thing on the PC is concerned. Otherwise, just C and an assembler, and that's, that's mostly what I stick to as far as, as far as languages are, are concerned. So you haven't done anything? Do you have any experience with I've done a I'm little sorry, bit of, of OpenGL and assemb Assembler and stuff, but not, that's not something I spend a lot of time on anymore. I was just wondering if you had any experience with it, mm. like OpenCL and that newer stuff, CUDA and so on. Uh, no, to be honest with you, no. I'm kind of, um, I've noticed that I don't, 
like to have a lot of, I don't like to branch out very much. Like, I don't like dependencies. I don't like, um, I don't like, uh, I don't like branching off into languages that aren't standard. I'm not saying that these languages aren't standard by any means, but, um, I'm kind of, uh, sort of, um, a single trail sort of person. I, I'm not sure if you understand what I'm, I'm getting at. Um, may I ask why, though, you're asking about these in particular? Do you, do you have any experience of these? Oh, I was just looking at the previous episodes of some of your shows, and I noticed that you talk about that kind of stuff, and I was wondering just specifically if you had any experience with some of the OpenCL or whatever, because I was trying to get that to work a couple months ago when I didn't have any good luck with it. wondering maybe if I was running um, something different, like one of the BSD-based systems I have more luck. But I haven't found anyone who's really messed with but hasn't been using Windows, unfortunately. Thank you, uh, thank you, Matt Jones. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks for for telling us about about D. Uh, hopefully, some of our listeners will um, be excited about uh, getting into this sort of seems to be forgotten language, as you say. Hopefully, that's, that would be great if more people and heard this and got and, and spent some time looking at a D and trying it and so on. Do you uh, do you have any contact information that you want to leave us with? So if you want to look at some of my other stuff, you can go to my website, workhorsey.com, or .org, sorry. That's W-O-R-K-H-O-R-S-Y.org, and then my email address is on there. If you want to check out Root and Tootin, you can just look up look it up on Launchpad or my personal site. Okay, I'll, I'll put those in I'll put those in the show notes. And uh, take care, Matt. All right, bye bye. Welcome back. We are just in time to be out of time. We've reached the end of our program. Up next is the BSD Action Show. We'll catch you next week. Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.